Hey out there, before we get started on this week's episode, I have a quick announcement to make. This is actually going to be my last episode of hosting State of the Art. Um, I'm taking some time off here and going to focus on some other things. And I just wanted to say thank you for listening for the past two years. I've been working on this podcast. And if you want to reach me, you can always send me an email at GabeBC, B as in boy, C as in cow, uh, at Gmail. So go ahead and hit me up there, send me a message, and hopefully we can continue this conversation in a new venue going forward. Um, so just thanks for listening. It's been a real blast. And I love all the conversations I've had with all these different artists over the years. Uh, you can also follow me at GabeBC on pretty much every social media network. So say hi. And let's stay in touch, and hopefully we'll connect in the next big thing. Welcome back to another episode of State of the Art. I'm your host, Gabe BC. Thanks for joining us this week. We have a really exciting program for you. Uh, I'm super excited about this year in general and returning back to the classroom next week uh, to start teaching in person again, hopefully, and maybe not in the first couple weeks. But as the semester goes, I think I'll be able to actually get back in the class. I was able to get a vaccine here in New York uh, because all podcast hosts are eligible. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's because I'm a teacher. Um, that would be really strange if podcast hosts got the vaccine first. It would be not necessary. Um, anyways, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how it is to teach again in person. I don't know if I'll be afraid of entering a classroom. Um, our guest today is actually a teacher and an artist. Uh, Lee Santana is our guest. We're going to talk to Ali in a little bit. Um, and Ali is an amazing artist who works with multimedia, video, sound, collage, installation, live performances. So we're going to talk about what it's like to be a teacher. He teaches over at MoMA, works with the teen program there, and also what it's like to do performances and maybe how performances will change in this post-pandemic world that's starting to open up again, hopefully soon. Um, before we go forward with the interview, a couple of things. Uh, I released a piece with Infinite Objects. Uh, they're a company that does these really cool video art pieces for your house. So I made a little limited edition piece inspired by the pandemic, which is a tiny apartment building that you can have on in your house all the time. And you can watch these residents of this apartment building live out their lives. So that's available over at infiniteobjects.com. You can find it. It's called Home Sweet Home. So check out that if you are interested in purchasing some work. It's my shameless plug of the week here. Um, something else that I think is interesting, I read this article online uh, called The Unreasonable Ecological Cost of Crypto Art. And for those of you who are interested in crypto and the idea of collecting digital art and recording those transactions on the blockchain, this might be a super interesting article for you. Basically, it looks at the idea of the ecological costs of making blockchain transactions. And for those of you who don't know what that is, basically when people sell digital work now, and there's been a lot of interest in selling digital art since the pandemic started specifically, probably because everyone's at home on their computers, but you can do this through these sites like Nifty Gateway is one where you can basically um, purchase this, these artworks and that transaction is recorded onto the blockchain. So it's a way of basically collecting digital art and making sure you understand who the collector is and, and notating that transaction and sale down. So everyone has this kind of ledger that they can look at. Um, but this article approaches it from an ecological standpoint and basically questions how these transactions and this computing power is actually uh, impacting our planet. And it's super interesting. So basically they look at the sales from this artist Beeple, who is an artist that, you know, is a very generous artist, but recently started selling work 
um, through one of these NFT sites, these um, blockchain sites, and uh, basically sold millions of dollars worth of art <laughs> of these JPEG images over the pandemic. And this site basically did some calculations to find that the computing power used to sell those artworks, to record those transactions over and over again, is equivalent to a European Union resident's electricity consumption for 40 years, or a flight of 825 hours, um, or boiling a kettle 2 million times. <laughs> so I guess this is something that we should be concerned with. Um, you know, we never really think about computing power necessarily, you know, even just keeping your computer on and running. And these blockchain transactions take a lot more computing power than just, you know, running Microsoft Word or something. But just to record these sales, we're actually in some way affecting our planet. And if this is to continue, we really need to rethink about this, I think. Um, so an interesting way to look at crypto art, something that's maybe not discussed quite enough. So check out The Unreasonable Ecological Cost of Crypto Art by Memo Octen. Really interesting article came out in December. Um, and maybe we'll link to that too in, in a post here. All right, so let's get this episode started off. Ali Santana's our guest. Uh, like I said, Ali is an award-winning educator, director, multidisciplinary artist. I'm super excited to talk to Ali. So Ali, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. So Ali, how has 2021 been so far for you? 2021. Um, I mean, it's only been a few days, but I guess it's been pretty chill so far. Nothing too crazy. Yeah, that's pretty gone. good after last year, I think. Yeah, right. So I'm, I'm hoping we're off to a, a good start here. But um, I've just been optimistic and, and kind of hoping that uh, I think that this is going to be a great year. But um, yeah, I have no complaints. I'm grateful for, for everything right now. So and you grew up in New York? Um, in Brooklyn specifically? Yeah, that's right. And so have you ever left Brooklyn? Have you been here the whole time? I've never lived anywhere else. I've always lived in Brooklyn. I've traveled a lot um, back when that was a thing. Um, and I've spent like two months in Brazil, but I've never officially lived anywhere else. And how did living and growing up in Brooklyn sort of influence the kind of work you do today? Uh, I mean, it was a... I think just growing up in New York in general has a crazy influence on on a person because there's so many different uh, cultures and everything mashed up together. But Brooklyn, especially, I've got like a, a great sense of Brooklyn pride um, going on. Like when I grew up, um, it was, I don't want to date myself so much, but the 80s and the 90s, which was like the Brooklyn cultural renaissance and there was like so much going on there was communities full of artists and that really kind of influenced who I was and my character um hip-hop was a big influence um at that point and that's kind of uh become a major point in in my creative process um yeah I just think the community itself growing up you know, surrounded by art and artists and other creatives and community really, really kind of shaped who, who I am now. And were you artsy growing up? Like, were you always making uh, music or painting images or um, did that come kind of later on in life? Uh, I mean, that was always a thing. I, I come from a family of artists. So my, my parents are both artists and um, growing up in it, I never really thought much of it because that's that's just life when you're a kid um but my mom is a photographer my dad is a filmmaker um an abstract painter and i guess as a kid they'd always be 
they drag me to art openings, book signings, gallery, uh, you know, different galleries and, and all other types of stuff. And I just used to be bored as a kid. But um, <laughs> my, my parents always kept pen and paper with them. And if I was bored, they, they told me to just kind of create art. And um, that's all that's been a that's been a process that stuck with me. Um, and I've always created things, uh, collages, paintings, photographs. Uh, I used to play the djembe, um, which is a West African drum. Um, so music and art has always been, you know, a major influence. And when did you make that jump from doing, I guess, what we refer to as more traditional art or painting, drawing, to the kind of new media work that you do now, performance and video and sound and all this stuff? I think it all it all changed when we got a computer. Um, and that changed the whole game. Uh, my dad brought home, what was it, like a, an Apple Plus, a Mac Plus, which was like mm -hmm. the 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 beige all-in-one computers and just the fact that that thing could make noise and you can draw on it and and do all, all of these things really intrigued me and um i think the next step beyond beyond the the, the mac plus was when my mom went to uh she attended nyu's uh, icp program and i guess her her thought there was if i'm going to go and pay all this money for tuition i'm gonna i'm gonna bring my son <laughs> my family with me and so I would always be up in there um, with her in certain classes and she would bring home different software and introduce me to like Photoshop and sound edit. And once I discovered that I could be creative, um, you know, with a computer that kind of changed the game for me. That's so funny. You grew up at ITP. I mean, we have a lot of guests that uh, went to ITP, but having grown up there, I'm kind of curious what it was like in the 90s. Yeah, I'm like the unofficial ITP uh, <laughs> student. Um, <laughs> it was interesting. I mean, this is when ITP was still in Manhattan. And I just remember uh, the the squeaky wooden floors uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and the computers. I used to love going there. This was like 96, 95. And when I only had like a 56K modem, not even that, I had like a 14.4K modem um, and for anybody who doesn't remember those, that was like the slowest internet speed that you could have. Um, so going to ITP was like, you had access to these T1 internet lines. And for me, that was like the holy grail. I could download all of the shareware games and, and mess around on the computers and mess with the software. Um, and so I would just be in the lab. And I'm sure like the other students there would just be like, who is this kid in the lab? <laughs> right. <laughs> Always downloading <laughs> playing, like Napster yeah, downloading things. Stuff, playing, yeah, playing games and, you know, doing who knows what. But um, it was just amazing to be uh, exposed to all the different like um, state-of-the-art technologies at that time. You know, the, 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 the computers that were way faster than what I had at home, the software, the, the gear and everything else. Um, so, yeah, I learned a lot just by kind of absorbing what was around me, but also, you know, every now and then sitting in on a class and, and kind of learning secondhand. So you were sitting in on grad school classes when you were like 10, 12 years old or something like that? I was like 15, 16, okay. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there was a Java class that I sat in on once. Um, I remember always seeing like the physical computing classes and, and being interested in that stuff. Um, and then there was also just like a library of all this different media that you could check out. Um, I remember always kind of renting the Monty Python interactive 
uh, like CDs that, that were in the library at that point. It's a random memory. Um, yeah. That's funny. And what was the first kind of work that you made or that you could remember making at that age using all these new softwares and technologies? So I think like my introduction into technology, you know, was just through mischief. Like at 15, 16, you're just kind of like <laughs> trying to get into as much trouble as you can. Um, and so when I first was introduced to Photoshop and could see that you could manipulate images and create animations and GIFs, um, I was making like little animations of myself, like pictures from my yearbook. I would, I would take pictures of my teachers and kind of make these silly animations out of them and um, show them to my classmates. Um, we had sound edit and I was really into like looping back then. Like I had my favorite parts of songs and the sound edit program allowed you to, to uh, look at the waveform and kind of isolate certain parts of a song and edit and, I would just want to hear certain parts of a song over and over again. And so I started really learning how to like loop back then and create these, these like early mashups. Um, and I remember uh, in my school, we had like a, a talent show that they called a no talent talent show. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, my friends and I couldn't sing or anything. So we, we kind of did like this medley of songs, but we, 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 we kind of like lip sync all the songs and we created these costumes and I just remember creating all of this stuff with the software, you know, that I learned. Um, and looking back on it, that was like really amazing. That was kind of like the very beginning of getting into performance and, and, uh, tech and like integrating performance and technology and, and creativity. And did you go on to study like new media yourself after high school or, uh, how did you make that jump from, you know, kind of messing around with your friends and, doing these beginning performances to what you do now? Yeah, uh, like in high school, I think when it was time to start applying to colleges, I really, at that point, I really couldn't find a program that really spoke to the things that I wanted to do. I was really interested in multimedia design and animation and like specifically computer animation um, and computer design. And there wasn't a lot of options for that at that point. And I remember a guidance counselor kind of guiding me towards um, computer programming. And I did that for a little bit um, in college and realized it wasn't for me. I needed more of an, like a, an arts-based program. Uh, and just kind of jumped around from school to school until those majors started to, the majors that I was interested in started to, you know, get popular. And I remember going to school for multimedia programming and design and really enjoying uh, that experience there. And I think we learned um, director was really big, mac macromedia director, um, mm -hmm. and started to get into programming actually through the lingo language. But it was like programming where you would program multimedia elements. And I made this side-scrolling video game that was like really dope to me. Um, and that kind of just set it off. And eventually wound up going to um, FIT, Fashion Institute of Technology, for uh, computer animation and interactive media. And um, in some of your early performance pieces, you also wore costumes, right? This kind of costume trend kind of carried over from high school. Yeah, I think that's that's just a theme. I mean, I, I think that was happening before high school. Even as a kid, I would just love to dress up and be up on stage. So that's always been a thing for me. Um, but yeah, my performances involved, <laughs> and I don't know what it is. It just seems right. 
for me. You know, if you're going to perform, you got to, you know, you got to be in costume. But a big part of it was also uh, when I first started performing, I guess, professionally, um, my nerves were just on fleek. They were crazy. Mm. Um, It's like super like stage fright almost. And uh, one way to not have to look at the audience is if you wear a mask. And uh, I just happened to have this mask that I'd made for Halloween. A friend of mine had a, a Halloween wedding and I made this crazy mask. Um, and I wore that for like one of my first performances and it just kind of became a thing. And tell me about Brooklyn Zulu. Right. So Brooklyn Zulu, I mean, that's the name of uh, it's a collective uh, made up of me and, and two of my closest friends. And um uh, we would just hang out all the time and make really weird audio and video mashups. Um, and eventually we just decided like, hold on, we, you know, we could share this. We could, we could like do this in a, it first, it first started as like wanting to DJ and do it in a club environment and, uh, kind of like freaking people out by mixing and mashing up all these different songs. Um, and so, it just evolved from hanging out to kind of creating this collective where we all would pretty much improvise on stage and create, you know, these audio mashups and video mashups um, live. And once, <laughs> once my buddies, uh, shout outs to Mustafa and Leo, um, once they saw me wearing a costume, they were like, nah, we got to wear a costume too. <laughs> and so like, it was all three of us in costume on stage, just kind of being weird and doing this improvisational audiovisual um experiments in front of a live audience and would you go in with sort of a theme for each one or how did you put together the media that would go along with these performances um we had like a loose idea of what we wanted it usually consisted of, of like uh you know popular music at the time and then we'd mash it up with like old school stuff and then mix it with you know like film quotes and and you know audio from all different sources and it was just so random and so crazy um that we just developed this library of 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 media that we would we would mix together on the fly and part of it was like seeing what would come together um in a live setting because it was always so much different than had we prepared it beforehand like doing it live would just lead to really really crazy um outcomes um and we that just kind of became our thing like improvising on stage created a whole different um product or or final outcome than anything that we would like really thought about and then crafted together beforehand and where would you do these performances was it like in a club or a bar or like on a stage somewhere <laughs> yeah we started off um in clubs which is weird uh, because most people go to clubs to kind of just like dance and get drunk. And in the beginning, you know, we were doing all this like weird artsy stuff and most people weren't paying attention because they were just trying to party. Uh, but that's actually like where we got a lot of our practice for performing live. Um, we even had like a little residency at Pianos, which was a bar. And, oh, yeah. Like, perform- I, used to, yeah. <laughs> I used to DJ there actually a long time ago. Oh, yeah. Ago. Okay. Like everybody has a piano story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and pianos was, was a spot in, in the Lower East Side, and it would just get crowded on the weekends. And we had like a residency there, um, like once a month. We we teamed up with this DJ, Ricky. Shout out to Ricky Tempo. Um, <laughs> was that in the back room, did, like downstairs? 
Yep, in the back yeah. room downstairs. And it was so crazy because it would be packed and there would be you know, tons of people. And we went back there just doing this really experimental stuff. Um, uh, while while the DJ was DJing, we'd have these visuals up there kind of like babysitting the crowd. And um, that was just really fun. We 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 got to really experiment with that. Um, and eventually we started doing more and more of these kind of shows and um, then started to move into art spaces. Uh, and so we, we had a gig at the Brooklyn Museum um, that was affiliated with one of their uh, openings for the show about Masquerade, which was like really great. We, we performed in costume for that. And we started to do multimedia festivals and noise festivals and live media festivals. Um, and that's when we kind of started to create themes around our work. You know, it wasn't just random kind of craziness anymore. We started to try to tell stories through through the medium. And what were some of those themes that you were exploring once this moved into more of an art space? I mean, a big theme was gentrification, just the changes that were going on. And I think that, you know, we were exploring these themes just as a way of understanding what was happening. So um, we we all lived in Brooklyn and we were just seeing our neighborhoods change around us and we wanted to we wanted to say something about it. And the technology really kind of gave us the voice for that, you know, to be creative and, and create this experiment, you know, experience and, and experiment. Um, and just really tried to tell our story and figure out what was going on. Um, so we did one kind of theme show called uh, where Brooklyn at, and it's, you know, that was just about the Brooklyn that, we remembered um kind of disappearing and uh we got a lot of feedback from that um and there were were, i mean there were other themes that we explored that were kind of built in but it it just became more of like this uh almost like an album where like each each track or each performance was like a different story that kind of told us this this larger abstract story um and so that was really interesting to start to move into a space where we were um, experimenting with with abstract storytelling. Hmm, that's super interesting. How do you even put together a performance like Where Brooklyn At? Like, do you start with the sounds, or do you start with the the video or the imagery? Um, it was it was all over the place. Really, right. like, <laughs> I, yeah, I think um, we had already had some stuff that we had done before that kind of touched. You know, they were like early ideas. Um, that kind of touched on those themes. And, um, you know, once we decided the name for the show, we started to pretty much brainstorm, like, what else could we include? You know, like, oh, there was a there was a sketch comedy bit by Dave Chappelle that we could throw up in there, you know, and, and mash up and remix. Or there's this, there's, this, uh, there's this piece of this song by Tupac that we could throw in there. And so it was a lot of, like, sampling and remixing, um, you know, but in a way that really that we were able to express ourselves. Do you think that was somewhat like a reaction to what was going on on the internet at the time that, you know, everybody was starting to experiment with memes and the idea of remixing visual culture more and more through Twitter and Instagram and that kind of thing. Or was this like something that you've always just been interested in? Yeah. I mean, it started, I think it started with like mashup culture. Like I think like 2010 or maybe even before that, mashups just kind of became the rage kind of like mixing one song with another song and once we figured out that the technology could do that like in new ways and then do that with video that just we we went off with it you know 
then we would just figure out what can we mix together to make something completely new. And it was especially fun when we could mix things that you could no, no longer figure out the source. Mm. You know, you could no longer figure out that this was samples from this place, you know, to the point where it, create, it became its own um, unique creation. Um, but yeah, I mean, it definitely was also a, a response to to the meme culture and which is important. Like memes are actually like ways of communicating now. They they can express complex thoughts and and you know through simple you know pictures. Um, so it, it's all evolving. We're all kind of playing off of each other with that. Do you have like a collection of media that you've worked with throughout the years? I'm just picturing terabytes of video and audio sitting around. I have hard drives upon hard drives yeah. upon hard drives um, that I really need to um, get serious about archiving. Um, just because I know that this technology is not, will not last forever. Um, yeah, that's on my to-do list for 2021. <laughs> there you know, you go. It's to organize all of that stuff. Um, but yeah, we have lots of material and, and stuff saved. So tell me a little bit about Boombaye. Um, how did this piece come about and what does it look like for people who've never seen it before? So Boombay is actually like my stage name. Um, it's also my Instagram handle. Um, and I guess that started just as a way to hype myself up. I've been, I'm, 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 I'm told that I'm a pretty laid back person. Um, and when you're performing or when you're, you're getting up on stage, Sometimes it's good to bring out, you know, a different kind of energy. And so when I was a kid and all through my life, my name is Ali. And uh, when I would graduate or whatever, my uh, my aunt or my family would be like, Ali, Bumbaye, Ali, Bumbaye. <laughs> and it's a chant that kind of it came from um, Muhammad Ali when he, from his famous fight, uh, Rumble in the Jungle with uh, George Foreman, um, I think in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, which is now like Zaire, um, Ali was a people's champ. And when he, he was like the most famous person, the most famous boxer in the world. And when he got off the plane, everybody in in the Congo was just, would chant his name, Ali Boumaye. And what that means is Ali, kill him. Um, and so I've kind of adopted that name and, and taken that um, in a sense of like, whenever I want to, whenever I do something, I want to, I want to kill it. I want to do a really good job had it and it's a way of hyping myself up and this is kind of like my not my alter ego but just my other personality that is really about doing things well hmm. you know being being serious about stuff and so that's kind of the name that i would i would use um on like certain personal projects when i didn't want to use my real name or or whatever but now it's kind of stuck and it's become it's become a part of of me and i'm thinking specifically i think about a performance that you did at the multimedia festival as Boombaye. Um, Got you, yeah. And can, um, can you tell us about that piece? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember if that piece had a different name. But I, that was for uh, the Roulette Mixology Festival. And Roulette is a venue here in Brooklyn um, that's a, dedicated to like experimental audio and sound. Um, and every year they have a, a festival called the Mixology Festival that celebrates artists who are mixing um you know, multimedia techniques, audio and, and sound. And um, so I was asked to perform there. And that was my first time kind of doing this um, AV performance solo. Like usually as Brooklyn Zulu, 
um, one of us, there were three of us in the group. One of us would be on sound, another one would be doing effects, another one may be on vocals. Somebody else might be, uh, you know, doing some live drumming. You know, we, we kind of split the tasks up. Um, somebody else would be VJing. And for this particular performance, this was this was me kind of doing it all by myself, like one man band style, where I was VJing, I was playing the audio, I was remixing everything live. Um, and it was just a way for me to tell more personal stories um, and, and really kind of express myself, but also a test to see if I could do it. Um, and so that was like a really, I think, like pivotal moment in the in my career where I just wanted to kind of continue on and do these these style performances because I felt that I was bringing something a little bit different, you know, to to the multimedia shows and the the AV and the noise shows that I had seen before. Um, I was really kind of bringing this like Brooklyn uh, centric feel to it. Ah, and that that reminds me, the name of that performance was, is Boom Bap Cinema, which is something that I kind of came up with. Um, to, to describe my workflow, um, boom bap is a certain style of hip hop production that uses like sampling and really heavy bass drums and snares to effectively tell stories. Um, is usually combined with, you know, a dope MC who's able to to uh, tell a story through lyrics. So with boom bap cinemas, it was me using images and visuals along with this boom bap style of production of, of music production to kind of tell these abstract stories. Um, and this was just a huge experiment in, in that workflow um, when doing that that uh, performance at the Mixology Festival. And you said that's a personal story. Can you tell us about what elements went into building up this personal story within this Boom Bap Cinema project? Um, I mean, there were, there were so many. There were like different vignettes, um, different tracks that kind of blended together. So there were different stories that I would tell. Um, and a lot of them were based around my experiences growing up in New York, growing up in Brooklyn, um, personal experiences. I don't know if you've heard of like the Saturn return, but this is like an astrological thing. And I feel like I went through that like real heavy at one point. So I included like, you know, uh, elements that kind of describe that experience through sound and, and visuals. Um, just all types of stuff. Uh, I would, I would include clips from, uh, just kind of like homemade self-captured movies of my family yeah. along with clips from that I'd find on the internet of different, you know, dancers and just kind of blend that, blending these different, uh, these thoughts and elements together to tell, tell this new story or convey this new idea. And have you performed that piece multiple times? I think that was the first, <laughs> that was the first and only time I've, I performed that. Um, yeah, I'm so curious how it would change, like uh, how much of it is based on improvisation and live versus pre-programmed elements. Yeah. It, I mean, that, that was always kind of like the, the struggle, like how much of this will I do live? Because it's a lot of work to try to figure out. It's a lot of pressure to try to figure out what you're going to do, um, in front of a live audience. Um, so I, I would have just like different drum loops or different uh loops that i've created and mix and, and match them together on the fly so like i like we had done before with the, the workflow with brooklyn zulu just kind of working from a library of experiments um and and combining them and mixing them on the fly and seeing what works together and what, what doesn't um but yeah that was that was my that was a performance that made me want to do this more and um I started to look at different festivals 
um this before by the way that performance was in like 2019 mm-hmm. before before the world changed right? yeah i was gonna say how how would it be different <laughs> now if you're gonna do it yeah i mean obviously I would, would you even want to do that through zoom or something like that see that i'm struggling with that right now um i mean i was looking at different uh live media festivals and, and performances and i found like europe just had so many of them going on and i was like really interested in performing internationally um and i found this one festival called the uh live performers meeting um where it was like not only uh a festival well like a, and a performance showcase but also um they had like an educational element where, where folks would get up and explain their process and i was really looking forward i got accepted to that and was really looking forward to do that in, in march of 2020 um and right before i think like a week before um i was due to like get on the plane and go out there everything got shut down due oh, to the no. pandemic. Yeah. And so I was like, oh man, um, you know, let me just <laughs> that this is wild, but let me let me just kinda wait for this to pass. And so it's been like a year now since we've been in pandemic land. And uh I'm seeing that a lot of things have gone online to streaming. You know, there's folks doing their thing on Twitch. I got a lot of DJ friends who you know, have like these huge Twitch followings or these basically Twitch residencies and folks are DJing and on Instagram. Um, and I haven't, I haven't done it yet. I haven't dipped my toe in the water yet just cause I'm not sure how, how I feel about it yet. Sure. I don't know. I'm, I'm still like on the fence. Actually, I did one performance with Culture Hub. Um, I was a resident artist there shout out to Culture Hub. Um, and they, they did, a, um, they're doing, a lot of different shows that that stream online and I'm, I'm forgetting the name right now um but they would do it like every friday and they invited me to do one and that was actually cool um but there's something about the live experience that i really miss uh, when performing when streaming um and i think that's one of the reasons why i like to do it to be in front of an audience and kind of to test out new things and to see their reactions you know or to, to get their feedback is really interesting. And I think it's like one of the same reasons why I would like to like go, go see a movie on uh, in the theater on like opening night to kind right. of see the audience reaction and to hear when people laughed or hear when people, you know, gasped or, or had emotional reactions to the work. And that's one reason why I really liked the idea of performing and improvising live. Um, and I haven't really seen how to do that yet. Um, when streaming. Yeah, I completely agree. Even with art shows, it's like I don't have a whole lot of interest in doing digital art shows for some reason, because so much of it to me is about having conversations with people in physical space and seeing physical work. I don't know. So I I mean, I'm hoping that we come out of this period pretty soon and that you get to perform again, because I'd love to see this live too. Yeah, I mean, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out like what form that would take now. I feel like so much has changed, um, you know, how what stories would i tell now how would i tell them you know would i even be comfortable (laughs) performing you know in a group of people how long until we're all comfortable gathering together um again there's so many variables now um but i I do think that this is a great time to kind of rethink everything you know to slow down and really feel and really figure out what we're trying to say and do you know in, in all of our creative practices do you think that there's a, a crossover between your performances and the teaching work or the educational work you do? 
Like, do you feel the same when you're teaching a class as when you're doing a performance? Oh yeah. Teaching is best <laughs> being on stage, right? teaching a class, right? You, you have the, the first day is always crazy um, because you got to stand up there and introduce yourself to, you know, a group of students who don't know you. Uh, and that's basically just like a performance. And um, when I was teaching at the Museum of Modern Art, we, I'd usually start off my first classes with a performance just to kind of introduce uh, the students to wh- who I am and what I do. Um, what would you perform for them? Uh, it's like any audiovisual experiments that I was working on mm. or like maybe a little snippet from something that I was doing. Like we had a projection, we had done a projection mapping class um, pretty early on when I was there. And I started off with this audiovisual projection mapping um, performance just to kind of get everybody, just to kind of set the mood. You know, this is this is what it's going to be like in, in my class. Um, and I really think that that, that's important, you know, for, for students to see early on, like to get an idea of the setting, you know, the possibilities of what they could do. Um, but yeah, teaching, teaching itself is performance um, and it's totally interactive. Uh, and just always gives me new ideas. Like I tell my students early on that this is not a class in the way that you've ever probably had a class, but it's more like an intergenerational ex- exchange of knowledge, right? Because mm-hmm. I come from a different time and period, um, and y'all come from a different time and period, and I have certain experiences and knowledge that I've gained, and you've got that too. And so let's exchange that. I'm going to tell you what I know and how I've done stuff, and y'all are going to introduce me to you know, the stuff that y'all are doing. Um, it was my students who first put me on the Snapchat. You know, I, I depend on them to teach me the new slang. Yeah. Um, I always ask them, like, what, what are y'all listening to so that I know? Um, and so I, I just really value um, teaching because it's actually become part of my practice now to just kind of incorporate and, and collaborate with a new generation of, of creatives. Yeah, and I thought you we had a previous conversation about this, but you told me about a class uh, kind of surrounding alter egos, uh, which I thought was super fascinating that you had students pick their alt, their own alter ego. Yeah, that was like my last that was that was my last in person class. So I feel, you know, I really miss teaching in a classroom with folks. But that was a totally experimental uh, class uh, where I we mixed all different elements together to create, you know, this, this, this learning experience. So the idea behind Altered Egos was that this was a class based in costume design um, and audiovisual performance. Um, and the idea was that students would think about an alter ego or a character that they, you know, had in mind or, or felt that they would create this character, they would create a name for this character and a story behind this character. And then what we did was uh, we went to uh, Goodwill and the Salvation Army and just kind of got all these different clothes and patterns and just all types of random stuff. And we brought it back to the classroom. We asked the students to pick out pieces that they thought related to that to their character that they created in their mind and start to, to build a costume around this character. So we involved, we did mask making. We also uh, created like whole wardrobes outfits we had like dummies in the class that that we got or mannequins rather that we had dressed up to kind of like figure out what we we're going to do and these students created the craziest stuff i've ever seen <laughs> like 
they killed it. And it, like I I never taught that class before. This was just an idea that we had. Um, and they created like just professional level um just costumes. Um and then on top of that, you know, after we created these costumes and created these alter egos, we asked them to like go out into their communities and record audio, you know, whatever it might be, the sound of the train screeching, the the sound of your cat making noise whatever it was bring it back and then kind of cut it up or arrange it and make a soundscape that would create the environment for this alter ego then on top of that we we uh brought in and we brought in a green screen and we filmed them in costume kind of performing uh and they created video art to go in the background um so we created these performance these video performance pieces where their audio was playing where they were in costume and um yeah, it was just a really amazing class. Yeah, it sounds incredible. And it's, it's always those kind of classes, I feel like, the ones that are really pushing the boundaries and are experimental and the classes where the instructor is super excited about teaching them as well. Uh, yeah. They go the best, you know? It's just like, it's something, it's something that you would never would have thought of otherwise. Because um, I, I take my own classes. <laughs> like, I, I was, I created my own um, costume. I, I was going to ask. Them. Yeah, what was your yeah. alter ego? Um, I didn't even... What what was the name that I had for it? It was like something astrology. Ah, there was like this one shooting star or something that like flies backwards, and I forget the name that I gave this character. But mm. um, it just wound up being there's like I'm trying. To, it's so hard to describe. I wish I could show a picture. But there was a um, we found like all this raffia, which is um, like this kind of straw. Uh, that's using costuming and I built it around this like wire plant frame. I wore that costume to the opening and I encouraged like any students who wanted to wear that costume to the opening um, of that show. Yeah. But that, yeah, that was really cool. Yeah. It sounds great. Um, and you mentioned astrology a couple of times. Is that something that you're passionate about? Not really. I mean, like it's always interesting to me that there's certain times where I'll be like, something feels like it's going, something is going on cosmically. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel weird. Um, and not that I know like my moon rising or anything like that, but I do feel like I, I exhibit like classic Libra traits. Hmm. And I feel like folks that I know also, you know, fit their, their astrological signs. But, you know, apart from that, I don't really go deep into it, but I do feel like there's some power in that somewhere. Um, That's funny. That's the only sign yeah. I know. I mean, it's weird because I like all my best friends are Libras. Weirdly enough, that's the oh, only yeah? thing. I, it's the only, I know nothing about any other signs. <laughs> <You're the laughs> that's best, funny. I, it seems like <laughs> Libras are pretty chill and like kind. I found so. Yeah, I mean, um, we try. It's a good <laughs> sign usually when someone's Libra. I'm an Aries, which is just like apparently just totally crazy. So I don't know. But um, yeah, my my son is an Aries. I know. I know about Sean. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and sharing all these projects with us. Um, before we go, we have a tradition of doing rapid fire questions here. Um, these are just like fast questions. The first thing that pops into your mind. Um, okay. So let's start here. If you were the mayor of New York City, what would you change? What one thing would you change if you could pick one thing to change? Oh, mayor. Uh, Free transportation, buses and trains need to be free. That's, yeah, off the bat. Yeah, that makes sense right for there. sure. Um, where is the first place you'll visit once the world becomes safe to travel again? Oh, man, I don't know. Maybe Brazil, uh, maybe Costa Rica, somewhere warm and tropical with amazing, uh, you know, amazing sights and culture. Yeah, that sounds good to me too. 
Um, how would you like to see the art and or art and tech world change or evolve? Um, I'd, I'd like to encourage as many people to get involved because I feel like the more diversity you have, the more stories that can be told um, just makes for, you know, better communication. I think that there's a lot that you can say, you know, through technology. Technology is like a huge enabler. You know, it allows people to tell their story. And I feel like there's so many stories to be told. So I, I really would like more people to, to, to get involved and really kind of make make things more accessible. Okay, that makes sense. Um, what advice would you give to your younger self? Oh, man. <laughs> so much. I mean, um, dang, that, that's a deep one. <laughs> I know. For me. What I sprung it on you here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, don't doubt yourself and i'm gonna give that advice to my my older self too mm. man like just have the courage to go out there and, and do what you feel um yeah and what is your favorite karaoke song um i don't really do karaoke <laughs> but if i did it would probably have to be um what is it two of america's most wanted by um tupac and snoop mm-hmm. or um biggie's juicy all right that's a classic um yeah. all right thank you so much uh, ali santana yeah. it's been great talking to you um and um, how do we find some of your work online what's the best way to find um, you yeah i got a website it's my first name last name.com ali santana.com or um i'm on instagram as boombaye um, B-O-O-M-B-A-Y-E. Yeah. Great. And maybe we can play a little bit of Boombop uh, Cinema here to go out on. It'd be give, give our listeners a little bit of sound of what it, what it's uh, Oh, yeah. For it's sure. Like. Great. All right. Thank you Word. so much. Good to talk Thank to you. Thank you, Gabe. Word. You too. I really enjoyed interviewing Ali Santana. And this is uh, my last episode of State of the Art. So it was really great to be able to bring you this podcast for the last two years. And I hope you enjoyed it just as much as I loved uh, producing each episode and recording and getting to know all these different guests. So if you want to reach out to me, please feel free to still contact me at GabeBC. Pretty much on every social media network, you can find me on Instagram or Twitter, just at GabeBC. So yeah, say hi, and we can continue this conversation in a different venue at some point. Um, State of the Art is an at-art production originally created by Ethan Appleby. Uh, Weston Stevens, thank you so much for all of your hard work, uh, you know, doing the sound editing for all these years. Uh, Francesca Rodriguez-Sawaya, our wonderful producer. And Abby Asmus, our intern. Thank you so much for all the hard work everybody's been doing on this podcast. And uh, hopefully we'll continue this conversation again sometime. All right, that's it. See you in the internets. (laughs) Bye.